Genesis chapter number four. I want to go back to the beginning. That's what the book of Genesis is actually called as the book of beginnings. This is where it all started. I know I have made this statement before, but I've heard it said by a theologian that this book, the Bible, is so tightly woven together that if you was to pull a, a small string or thread in the book of Revelation or in the book of Genesis, that it would pucker in the book of Revelation. That's how closely knit together this book is. And I believe that. There are certain things that we see foreshadowings of or types of, even all the way back here, third, fourth chapter of the book of Genesis that are carried out throughout the Bible. They are the theme of the Bible, and that's what I'm going to speak about here. It's probably the most common thread or foundational theme of the Bible. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, and I want you to notice this, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, The Lord, what hast thou done? The voice... Everybody say the voice, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And I want to speak for the next few moments if the Lord would allow and anoint when the blood speaks, when the blood speaks. Let's, let's pray that the Lord would not only anoint but anoint it to our hearts and help us today. You know, it's one thing for the Word of God. The Word of God is anointed. It's another thing for us to be anointed to receive it. And so I'm praying that the Lord would help us today to receive, as uh, the writer said, the engrafted Word, the engrafted Word of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're in need of you yet again this morning. I'm praying, God, that you would anoint you would bless this word of the hearts of every person out of the sound of my voice. I am praying, God, for 
there to be help, strength, and blessing for somebody in this place. Your word would lift. Your word would strengthen. Your word would bolster our hearts and lives and our spiritual walk with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. Amen. Would you clap your hands to him again? Did you come to have church today? Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Let's don't wait till tonight to have church. Praise God. I think it is important that when we began to talk about the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, that we understand that this chapter affords us the opportunity to rebound from the fall or the incident that occurs in the third chapter. We know that the third chapter of the book of Genesis is where Adam partakes of the fruit and sin, sin enters into the picture. It is there that we recognize that the fall into sin through the weakness of Adam brings man into what I would call a gulf situation. Now there is a gulf between God and man. Uh, there there's something there that did not exist before. We see that sin has entered into the picture, and before this, Adam and God had what we would describe as a perfect relationship. I mean a daily relationship that was perfect. There was nothing between God and man, and now suddenly there is a chasm. There is a gulf that has to be bridged. And we are not left guessing. It doesn't take long for the Bible story to get around to what it's going to take to bridge that gap. What it's going to take to get across that gulf and that chasm that has become uh, a great thing between Adam and God. But, But the Bible makes it very clear and we see it throughout the word of the Lord. that Without the shedding of blood there is no remission. No remission, the scripture says, for sin. In fact, the Bible says that when Adam sinned, that God could be heard in the garden asking, Where art thou, Adam? He, he wanted to know. He, he came to him. This represents the, that the distance that sin brings between God and man that, that God immediately wants to, to do something about it, to close this gap, to bring these two back together again. And the unique, unique thing here is, is that God assumes his part in reconciling his relationship with fallen man. Uh, he doesn't just leave it up to man. He doesn't stand in the portals of glory with his arms crossed and say, Adam, you, you got yourself into this mess into this situation. It was by your choice, by your own volition that this happened. And so you'll just have to get yourself out of it. I'm not going to help you. That's not what we read into this story. But at the appointed time, just as he usually did, God comes back into that garden and he begins to seek out this man, Adam. He came towards Adam. You see, it really isn't accurate for us to say that we found the Lord or that we came to God. It's more aptly said 
that God came to us. Amen. The scripture said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. The Lord came to me. The Lord found me. God wasn't lost. I was the one that was lost. God wasn't lost. You were the one that was lost. You were the one that was in need of him. You're the one that needed salvation. You're the one that needed deliverance. You're the one that needed God's help. And aren't you thankful that he came to where we are? That he came towards us as he did Adam, right here from the very beginning of time, we see right in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, right after the fall, right after sin enters in the picture, God doesn't waste any time. He comes looking for this man. He comes seeking for this man. I think it's important that we realize right here from the outset this morning that it's God that redeems us and not we ourselves. Amen. Uh, The Bible said, by grace you are saved, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Amen. But he's merciful. He's kind. He's gracious. Uh, It's through his strength. It's through his power. It's through his ability. Amen. It was God that has done this. Uh, It is God that has saved us. Uh, It's God that has afforded us the opportunity to lift up our hands and worship him. Free from the shackles of sin. Amen. Free from the bondage of this world. Amen. We, we didn't pull ourselves out of sin. We didn't pull ourselves out of a world of iniquity. But it was God that brought salvation. And the scripture is very clear that salvation is God's victory in our life. It's his doing. Uh, the psalmist said in the 98th chapter, he said, Oh, sing, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. How many can concur with that scripture? His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Amen. It's God's victory in our life. I know we get to enjoy it, but we're not the one that went to the battlefield. We're not the one that took death hell and the grave away from the devil. We're not the one that possesses the keys. We're not the one that that fought through the struggle and the battle. Amen. But the battle has already been fought for us. All we've got to do is claim the victory by coming down to an altar, having faith and obedience to God. And saying, God, I repent of my sins, knowing that he's already paid the debt for our sins. He's already went to Calvary's cross so that we can be free. It's us to us to claim it and be obedient to the word of God. Oh, clap your hands and let's worship the Lord together. It's God's victory. It's God's victory. We need to understand that. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our abilities. It's not in our doing. We we don't have the ability to overcome. I, I don't care how great and how spiritual and and how how long you you've been around. Amen. None of us is any match for the devil. Anybody that's been living for God knows and understands that we need the help of the Lord every day. 
Amen. He said, give us this day our daily bread. He said, help us that we not enter into temptation, but deliver us. We need you to deliver us from evil. I can't deliver myself. I need God to help me. I need God to deliver me. I need God to take me by the hand. I need God to lead me. I need his spirit to give me power. That's the only way that I can overcome. If you don't understand that this is God's victory, you'll try to fight the sin problem and the issues of your life on your own and through your own ingenuity, and you'll fail at every attempt to do so. But it's God and through having faith in God that He, amen, is my strong arm. He is, he is the one that bringeth victory. It's Him, amen, it's through His name, it's through His blood, it's through His Spirit that I have power. Amen, somebody say power. Amen, the devil's afraid not of your power, not of your strength. I'll tell you what he's afraid of. He's afraid of the power of God that you possess, the Spirit of God that you have down on the inside of you, that that he baptized you with. That's what he is afraid of. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, I think that's important because we, in our attempts to overcome sin. We fail every time. We see this in this story right here in the preceding verses before our text. You know that after Adam uh, had partaken of the fruit, he, he recognized immediately that he had done wrong. And he recognized immediately that his innocence had been stripped from him. And he, he, he saw things in a different light and he had a different perspective because of sin, uh, an innocence was was take, taken from him, stole from him, ripped from him, as it were. And so he he sews fig leaves together and he makes aprons, trying to cover his mistake, trying to cover up the sin in his life. And God, when he finds him, he said, "That's not going to work. Uh, your attempts are, are going to fail. You're 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 trying through your own ingenuity and your own ability uh, to cover sin. It's not going to get the job done." Let me tell you right from the beginning that there's only one way to to get sin remitted in your life without the shedding of blood. There's got to be blood shed. And God slew animals and made skins of uh, coats of skins and placed them on Adam and, and he covered them and, and uh, again tried to rebuild this relationship with God. Amen. It, it was God that did that all. It was God that said, where art thou? It was God that slew the animal. It was God that made the coats of skin. Uh, Adam didn't sew one, one, one piece of that skin together and make that coat to, to place upon him or his wife. It wasn't Adam that, that did any of the work that was done. It was an angel of heaven. It wasn't, it wasn't a seraphim. He, he was without help. God did this all by himself. I'm going to tell you that he's still working the work of salvation by himself. 
Oh, we do what we can to work for God, be sensitive to God, let His Spirit anoint us and use us. But I'm going to tell you, it's not a preacher that's going to save you. It's not a church affiliation that's going to save you. It's not what name's on the sign that is going to save you. It's not a title in a church that is going to save you. It's not signing a membership role that is going to save you. It's not shaking a preacher's hand that is going to save you. It's God all by Himself that's going to save you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, if you're thankful for that salvation, you ought to lift up your hands right now and worship the Lord. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. There's only one way that the sin issue could be dealt with, and Adam learns this. He comes to recognize this. God teaches this to him, and he in turn is going to teach it to his sons. And we're going to bring it up to speed in a few moments to the text that I read. But I, I want to get this firmly planted in your mind that uh, the sin issue is not going to be rectified by being a good person. It's not rectified by saying a sinner's prayer. It's not rectified by, by joining a certain group of people. Oh, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. God is revealing right here from the beginning that it's going to take blood to satisfy the debt of sin. And even in this story of Cain and Abel, we see this theme of the blood being carried out. We see this scarlet thread as it weaves its way down into the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, we know that, that Adam had obviously taught these boys uh, that if you're going to worship God, if you're going to come before the Lord, and if sins are going to be taken care of in your life, you're going to have to offer a sacrifice. But Cain devised a plan in his own mind. He was a tiller of the ground. He said, I'm going to make my own way here. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. I don't have to be obedient. Uh, there's no sense in, in following strict orders here. Uh, there's not much logic in it. I mean, Abel, it's easy for him to offer a lamb because he's a shepherd. He, he deals with lambs. It would be much easier for me just to offer what I got. Just give, and, and God will just accept whatever. God will just take what I place on the altar. God will just be happy with whatever that I am able to bring him. And, uh, that he'll be satisfied with that. I've got a better way to do this. I'm going to tell you that spirit is still afoot in our world today. There's a lot of people, even religion, that are saying that there's an easier way or there's a better way. But can I tell you that it still takes Acts 2.38 salvation. It still takes the blood. I said it still takes repentance. What a baptism in Jesus' name. Not in the titles. Oh, that's not going to do. Not, not just any old way you so choose, Cain. Not, not just how you want to do it or how grandma did it or how grandpa did it. But you got to do it the way God said to do it, Cain. You can't get by just doing it how you want to do it. 
You can't get by being disobedient to God's not going to accept that, Cain. You can't just leave anything you want on the altar and expect God to take it. It's not going to happen that way. No, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized. And you must be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not just a spare tire. It's not just an add-on blessing. It's not something you can opt in or opt out of. You've got to have the Spirit of Christ, the Bible said, or you're none of His. My Bible said it's that spirit that's going to quicken this mortal body and get us out of this world at the rapture of the church. You better have the spirit of God or your feet's not going to get two inches off the ground when the trumpet sounds. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. But there was a man. There was a man that was obedient. Oh, I want to jump to the conclusion here and preach a little bit. Amen. The Bible tells me about Jesus Christ that he was obedient even unto death. He he took upon him the form of a servant, made himself of no reputation. Amen. He was obedient even to the death of the cross. There was a man all the way back there, a foreshadowing, a type of Jesus Christ, all the way back there in the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, that said, I'll be obedient. I'll do what he expects me to do. I'll follow the plan. I'll do what is asked of me. And the scripture says that he offered, he offered by faith. In Hebrews 11, it says that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was obedient. I'm going to tell you, it takes faith to be obedient to God. That's right. It takes faith sometimes to do what God asks you to do. Because many times it doesn't make sense. Many times it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It doesn't compute in our finite thinking. But God is infinite. and God knows everything. And like I said at the beginning in my preliminary remarks, he, he plans everything from the end back to the beginning. We can only look at what we're doing right now in the past. We can only look at it from this perspective. Yeah, man, but some way we got to put on uh, the, the spectacles of God and look through the lens of God's time and, and say, God, I'm going to have faith in you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step out in obedience to you. He said, well, it don't make sense to me. Well, it's God's way. Amen. It's kind of like the servants that said to uh, the, the, the captain of the Syrian army, Naaman, they said, why don't you just wash and be clean? Why would you want to fuss? Why would you want to debate? The prophet said it had to be the Jordan that you had to dip in. Why would you want to fuss about the rivers of Damascus and all those rivers that you named off that I can't pronounce that you would rather dip in? Why is it that you want to fuss over? It'd just be simpler just to get your feet wet, get out there in the water, be obedient, get it done with, and go home a healed man. Why would you want to fuss? I'm going to tell you if this message has the power to deliver, if it has the power to save, if it has the power 
power to bring an addict uh, out of addiction, if it has the power to deliver that person that is bound in their mind, if it has the power to expel fear from the heart of individuals, uh, if it has the power to break off that spirit uh, of doubt and unbelief, uh, if it has the power to save, uh, if it has the power to raise up, uh, why would you want to debate it? Why would you want to argue it? Uh, There's power in this gospel to do the work of salvation. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so, Abel is obedient unto God. Praise the Lord. And immediately, Cain realizes that my my sacrifice is not sufficient, and he's wroth about it. Isn't that amazing? People try to do things their own way, and God doesn't bless it, and they get mad about it. That's amazing. Yeah, get puffed up about it. Get swolled up, like we like to say. What are you all swolled up about? I kind of like one of them statements, like got all, what is it, white around the, or, uh, white around the gills? Is that, is that what the statement is? Amen. That swolled up. Cain was swolled up. He was upset. He was wroth. Amen. And uh, the Lord asked him, said, why is it your countenance is falling? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If you'd have done what you was told to do, Cain, if you'd just been obedient, wouldn't your sacrifice have been as acceptable as Abel's? But you tried to take a shortcut. You tried to do something different. You, you tried to avert the plan here. You tried to change things. He said, if you would have done well, yours would have been accepted. But if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. You still haven't taken care of, Cain, the sin question in your life. Your, your sacrifice didn't do anything about sin that is still lying at your door. It's still there. It hadn't been taken care of. It's still crouching like a wild beast ready for its opportunity to pounce. Amen. Because you hadn't taken care of it. You haven't dealt with it because fruit from the ground, vegetables are not going to take care of it. There's only one thing. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without blood, there's no protection. Without blood, there's no elimination of sin. Without the blood, the the sin question is not dealt with. And so into this picture in Genesis chapter 4, God brings a bleeding lamb. And he also talks about a bleeding man, Abel. And this is the first time that we see, and we're getting a, a little hint of what's going on here. And, and this, is really, this is really too much for me to delve into, but we get the first glimpse of a bleeding lamb that will someday be replaced by a bleeding man. And, and it has been prophesied that the seed of a woman, in Genesis chapter 3, that the seed of the woman would rise up and bruise the head of the serpent. In this previous chapter, it tells us that that's going to happen, and we're already seeing hints of it. And even in our, in our first verse there in chapter 4, Eve, after, after she had conceived and she finally gives birth to Cain, that she makes this statement. She says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. 
Lord. She remembered the prophecy. She said, could it be that this is the one? Perhaps this is the man child that is going to bruise the head of the serpent. His heel is going to bruise. Could it be she's already having faith that this thing is going to be reconciled? That that the devil's going to pay someday. She knows that, that it's all going to be taken care of and she believes it. Maybe even now it's going to happen with my own offspring. And what we are seeing in Genesis chapter 4 is not the reality, but it's the shadow of things to come. Abel is the obedient worshiper. Understand. I want you to understand something about worship. And, and I've been working on it a little bit here. And, and I'm not through yet. But worship brings the fire of God's approval. It's important that we worship God. I think it's important that you understand that that worship, we tend to think about worship as something that, uh, you know, well, if you need a blessing, then you worship God. Or if you need a touch from God, then you worship God. And those statements are true. God does bless people, as I'm going to point out, when they worship Him and when they praise Him. But worship is a responsibility of a true believer. Yeah, worship is something that all of us need if we're going to please God to be involved in. Come on, if that that Old Testament foreshadowing is true, there was many different offerings that were offered unto the Lord. Some were mandatory, some were not. Some were were obligation, some were not. Some were duty, some were devotion. But they were many offerings that were uh, to be given unto the Lord. I think we need to realize that not only is our blessing in worship, but a blessing for other people is in our worship. When we worship God, God's presence comes. God's power comes. God's glory comes. It not only blesses us, but it blesses the the area around us. It creates an atmosphere in which God can move. I can see it on some of you's countenance here this morning. You need a little proof from the scripture. Well, the Bible tells me that when those disciples were in the prison and God started moving, that when those doors were were opened and and, uh, they began to walk out, uh, that uh, uh, there was a jailer that was there that said, uh, you know what, I'm just going to kill myself because they're never going to believe this story anyway. They're going to put me to death, so I'd rather take my life by my own hand than to be persecuted by those in authority and those in charge and they said do thyself no harm we're not going anywhere and uh, they begin to teach to him uh, and they begin to preach to him the truth and the Bible said that that jailer and his whole household before the night was over was baptized in Jesus name how did that all start? I'll tell you how that conversion came about. It's because there was a there was some men that were in prison but their spirit was not in prison What are you trying to say? There were some men that were going through some things physically, but they didn't come to church with their bottom lip dragging the ground. They didn't come to church and say, woe is me. But they said, you know what? We may be going through it, but my God's still worthy. My God's still able. My God's still a deliverer. I may be in the prison, but my God's not in the prison. I may be shackled, but my God's not shackled. I may be powerless, but my God's not powerless. I may be beaten down, but my God's still strong. He's still able. And the Bible said as a result of their worship, there came a shaking in that prison house that opened the doors and loosed the bands that bound them. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. So what are you saying? I'm saying it doesn't matter if you're feeling good or not. When you come to the house of God, if you got the Holy Ghost, you need to worship God. You need to praise God. I know that there's physical limitations. I understand all that. Some of us not as young as we used to be. Some of us not, not in, in, in abilities uh, uh, what we used to be. But, but there is some of us that still have some energy and still have some strength. Uh, there's some of us that still can, that still can leap for joy, that still can praise the Lord, that still can give a shout. There's, still, there's some that are still among us that still can dance before the Lord with all their might. There's still some among us that still can run the aisles. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I feel a liberty here. Woo, but I got to warn you, folks. I got to warn you. As much as, it, 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 man, when, when, when people start worshiping, there's something moves in. The fire of God's approval, the Shekinah that is talked about in the Old Testament, came as a result of what? Worship. Now, I know the way we worship is we don't bring a sacrifice of bulls and goats and, and uh, lambs and turtle doves. No, we don't do that today, but we bring a sacrifice of praise. <laughs> yeah. You say, what does that mean? Uh, well, that means worship in a sense that sacrifice of praise doesn't need to be something that is just casual it doesn't need to be something that is costless it doesn't need to be something that just comes as an afterthought but it needs to be something that comes from your heart you can't just offer God anything and expect him to receive it but it's got to come from the sincerity of your heart you got to praise God Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But as sure as God's going to bless somebody that worships, and it's going to bring the fire of God's approval, worship also brings the fire of hatred from carnal folks. Yeah. I wish they'd shut out, sit down and shut up. I wish they'd be quiet. I wish. I mean, I feel like I need to say this to kind of balance things out here because... You know, you say something like that, and you're going to have some crazy. It's going to take it a little bit further than what it needs to go. So just in case, I'm just going to balance that out. When, when David was worshiping the Lord before that ark, which is typical of the presence of God, he got out in front of that ark, and he was worshiping God. The Bible said he put on what? A linen ephod, which was a servant's. It's what the priest wore when he was in service in the presence of God. He didn't leave his king robe on where everybody could see him out there. He didn't leave his crown on so everybody could notice him out there. Matter of fact, they had trouble noticing. Who, is that the king of Israel? Michael's looking down. She said, my God, that is my husband down there. Look at him. I'm going to tell you, when you worship God, it's not about you and attracting attention to yourself. It's not about you putting on your crown and you putting on your role. It's all about Jesus. It's all about lifting up the king of glory. When you pray, it's not about you. When you worship, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about bringing glory to God. Come on now. When you're worshiping, you're not edifying yourself. You're edifying the one that brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Praise God. 
There's nothing quite as distressing as when pride gets mixed in with praise. Yeah, when pride gets mixed in with worship. Praise God. It takes, it takes every bit of power out of it. It takes every bit of God's ability to bless it out of it. Well, I'm going to move on. Cain got a murdering spirit on him. Got a jealous, envious spirit on him. The spirit came against Abel, the one that had been obedient. The one that was trying just to get God's approval. Amen? And that spirit still comes against the blessed and the favored and the accepted. Satan doesn't fight sinners. He's got sinners. He fights saints. That's right. Amen? And he uses people a lot of times to fight saints. And so, don't be alarmed when there's somebody that, that uh, gets a critical spirit when you're being blessed. Oh, God blesses you financially. They said, oh, boy, somebody felt sorry for him and gave him that. Like I heard somebody the other day. He said, I call that person Trump. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I call him Trump because he got all his. He inherited it. I thought to myself, you know what? If in a few years from now he retains it and adds to it, what are you going to call him? Amen. You're going to call him smart is what you're going to call him. You're going to call him blessed is what you're going to call him. Amen. I believe in blessings being passed down generationally. If curses can be passed down generationally, surely blessings can be passed down. That's why every parent in this place ought to be concerned about doing your best for God so that, that can be passed down. You ought to be concerned about getting a storehouse of blessings. And I'm not just talking about monetary things. I'm talking about spiritual blessings that cannot be seen with the eye. Taking authority and dominion over things in life so that your sons and your daughters don't have to deal with that. Your grandchildren don't have to necessarily deal with that. Now I know everybody has their own choice to make and their own decisions to make. And I'm not, I'm not here to... To argue that fact, but I am telling you, there's some battles that you can win that they might not have to fight. That's right. That's right. Praise the Lord. So you got to make a decision. You got to make a choice. I'm going to do my part. And so uh, Cain rose up. Cain, Cain got an attitude. Said, I. I I'm going to kill him. So let's move on with our story. Adam was unable to rectify the issue of sin. But Abel is a picture and a foreshadowing, if I could say it this way, of Jesus. And the Bible says, it says this in our text, it says that they were in a field. Remember that? Now, why was Abel off in that field? This is where Cain did his work. This is where Cain's world was. This is, he's a tiller of the ground. This field belongs to, to Cain. And uh, Abel is in the field, the Scripture says. Well, again, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but aren't you thankful that our Savior, praise God, our Lord, 
Bible tells me that he put on human flesh. And he came to our field. He came to the world. Our world. And uh, he didn't have to, but he, he put himself in situations just like you and I deal with. And he won the battle ultimately in the place where we needed him to. Cain raised his knife and slew Abel or whatever it was that he slew him with. And this is a perfect picture of Jesus at Calvary when he came to this world. And no doubt Cain thought when he slew Abel, I've taken care of it. I don't have to deal with this anymore, this condemnation of this. I don't have to have to deal with the guilt and the, and the frustration and the rage and the anger and the anxiety that I feel about Abel. I can do away with it. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he piled rocks over the top of him, buried him somewhere under the dirt. I don't know where he put him. He might have threw him in an empty well somewhere, whatever that he did. He thought it was over with, just like the demons of hell. We're celebrating after Calvary, thinking, thinking that when Jesus said it is finished, that it really was finished. But they didn't realize that the work and the battle was what he was talking about. The work of Calvary is finished. The, 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 what I had to fulfill and what I had to do to redeem humanity is finished. When he said it was finished, it was really, it's just getting started. It's just getting started for a whole lot of souls that are bound by sin. It's just getting started for a whole lot of hopeless people that feel like there's no hope in this world. It's just getting started for people that's tried and tried and tried under the law to live and do right and, and they, they keep failing they keep stumbling and they can't make it but I'm going to answer this because I'm going to sell it with, with the blood of a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world and when this blood is shed it's going to be different it's not just going to raise the debt ceiling it's not just going to roll in the head for another year but it's going to give remission for sin it's going to take care of the sin issues. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. But even though Abel's body died, his blood kept speaking. His blood kept talking. And when the devil thought he had destroyed you, when the devil thought he had took you down, when the devil thought that he had silenced you forever, when he thought it was over with. Aren't you thankful that the blood spoke? Aren't you thankful that the blood speaks up? Aren't you thankful the blood said no? Aren't you thankful that the blood said there's hope? Aren't you thankful that the blood said I can restore? Aren't you thankful that the blood said not it's not over yet? Aren't you thankful the blood said it's not a hopeless situation? Aren't you thankful that the blood said no, you're not going to get the final say about this? Aren't you thankful that the blood said let me have my turn to speak? I, I, I will stand up and tell you something. Amen. You might have thought you destroyed him. You might have thought it was over with. You might have thought it was finished for them. But I'm not through yet. The blood's going to get the final say about this matter. Oh, I think we ought to praise the Lord and worship the Lord. The devil doesn't get the last word. The blood gets the last word. The enemy can hinder you, but he can't hinder the blood. He can stop you, but he can't stop the blood. He can defeat you, but he can't defeat the blood. 
Hallelujah. When I was coming up, man, we, we sung songs about the blood. It was pretty common when, when, when the Holy Ghost get to moving and maybe there was somebody, they got them down, man, in the altar. I don't know. I don't know if this was the right way or not. I'm not saying it was or it wasn't, but I don't see it very much anymore. And so I am a little concerned about that because I don't think the devils went away. But I mean, they used to wrestle them down in the altar. So we're going to cast a devil out of this person. And they'd get to rebuking. And what they do? They plead the blood. They'd say, get your children down and start pleading the blood. You ain't got the Holy Ghost. You ain't right with God. Ain't got no intention of getting right with God. You better get out of here. Because if you're not covered by the blood, you're in dangerous territory around here. Come on now. I'm talking about one of them tambourine beating, Holy Ghost, Holy Rolling, devil rebuking churches. We ought to get back to some of that. Amen. I think the devil's gotten too comfortable in some places. I said, I think the devil's gotten too comfortable in some corner. If you come to church and you're, it don't even bob your cork, there's something wrong with you. I said, there's something wrong. You can sit there and analyze and criticize and put the preacher on a one to ten scale. I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong with you. Come on, I'm just thankful that I got the blood. I'm just thankful that I've been set free. I'm thankful that the blood is able to have the final say. devil don't got the final say. The blood does. You can remain standing. And there's some things that only the blood can deal with. That's right. Going up my sidewalk. I don't know who poured the concrete. They didn't do a very good job. There's cracks in between the sections there, and they didn't do a very good job putting whatever they're supposed to do there. And grass grows up between there. I can mow over it. But then you got that little green strip across your sidewalk. And get down and pluck it out, but then it comes back. Finally, I got smart and said, what are we going to do to take care of this? Because some of this stuff they're selling that's supposed to kill grass don't kill it. It just makes it sick. Finally, I got some stuff. And they said, that stuff's not only going to kill the blades of grass, but it's going to get down there and kill the root. And it's going to kill any seeds, and it's going to treat this ground so that it's going to be hard for that grass to come back anytime soon. And when I thought about that, I thought about the blood. The only way I can treat the sin problem only way I can eradicate it is not just by glossing over it, not by going down and pulling the tops off of it and leaving the root, but i got to have the blood applied. And it's when the blood is applied that it gets down there at the root of the problem. And if there's any seeds of sin, come on, I believe the blood is powerful enough to take things, take care of things that could have happened and could have come to fruition. Amen. There's no telling where some of you would be if the blood hadn't took care of some things that was living on the inside of you that you didn't even know that was there, that hadn't blossomed yet, hadn't, hadn't come to fruition yet. But the blood took care of it. 
Bible said that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? People say, I know my heart. If I know my heart, that's not a good statement. Because you may think you know. But according to the Word of God, said that we can't know it completely. We can't know what's in our heart. And it takes the blood. It takes the blood. It takes the blood to get down there at the root of the problem and eradicate it and take it away and deal with it. You're dealing with issues in your life that just keep reoccurring and keep coming back. and That's why I, I thank God for I thank God for the helpful tools that we have, like 12-step programs and all that kind of stuff. I thank God for that. I don't condemn those folks, but I don't think that all alone by itself is going to help. Those are tools that you use, but I'm going to tell you what you need is to get down there at the root and let the blood be applied. You say, what about this attitude? What about this spirit of unforgiveness that I have? What about this anger that keeps cropping up? What about this, this problem that I've had from my childhood? How am I going to deal with that? I'm telling you the blood. I'm tired of sending people home with an aspirin and saying, I hope you get to feeling better. Let's get to the core of the problem. Let's get to the issue at hand. It's still the blood. The blood. Hallelujah. It's still the blood. Bible said that life is in the blood. I think it was Brother Doc that was telling me he just had his blood work done. He said, man, they was telling me how this, that, and the other. I mean, it was triglycerides and sugar and this over here. I mean, everything about you, it's like they can get a reading on you by taking just a little vial of your blood. Because everything about you is in that blood. Can I tell you that everything that Jesus is, is in his blood. If he's a healer, if he's a deliverer, if he's a joy giver, if he's a peace restorer, come on, it's all there when we get under the blood. Everything that he is, is in his blood. I said it's in his blood. So what I need to do, it's not complicated. I just need to come down to an altar and say, God, I need your blood to wash over me again. I need a cleansing. People that are anemic, sometimes, ever so often, maybe they got leukemia, maybe there's something there. They got to come back and get an infusion. And it, it's, they say it's amazing. You can walk in feeling like you just barely drag yourself in there. When you walk out, you feel strength just from that little pint of blood or two or three pints of blood, whatever it is that is given to them. I'm going to tell you, you might have drugged yourself in here today. But if you can get a, another infusion, if I could say it that way, of this blood. Sometimes we got to come back to the altar and say, God, I need more. It's not, it's not your fault. It's mine, but I need more. Amen. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't mean to, but I need more blood to cleanse me and wash me and purify me.
The Bible tells me that he shed his blood. I've heard folks say that he spilt his blood. He didn't spill it. That'd be an accident. He shed it. It was on purpose because he knew you'd need it here this morning. Would you come? Does anybody want to get close to Calvary today? Does anybody need the blood? Does anybody want to plead the blood over some situations? Come on. This is a universal message for everybody in this house. The blood. It still has the power. It still has the authority. It still has the ability. Hallelujah. Praise God. I thank you, Jesus. I need your blood to cleanse and wash and purify me today. If you got troubles, you need the blood. If you got problems in your life, you need the blood. You want help, you can find it in the blood. You need strength in the blood. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on, the blood's still able to help you right where you are. Hallelujah. Let's gather in close where these in the aisle can come down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.